everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, where every other week we bring you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you to help you connect with where your passion meets the world's deep need. This week on the podcast, we're talking with Dr. Craig Keener, FM and Ada Thompson Professor of Biblical Studies at Asbury Seminary. In this episode, we talk about his journey from being an atheist to experiencing the undeniable presence of God, how he became a scholar, and after writing more than 20 books, why he keeps writing. Let's listen. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today, and I want to talk to you. A lot of people know you as a New Testament scholar, like that's what you're known for. And so we want to talk about that too. But I also want to talk to you about what makes you you and just kind of get to know you as a person. Mm. Um, Because a lot of people, they don't have the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Craig Keener or they haven't had you in class and things like that. And so we've talked a little bit in different interviews and stuff. So I know a little bit, but I'm excited to get to share that with other people. I actually think people will be... um... The books and Craig Keener, the New Testament scholar, will be more useful for them than Craig <laughs> Keener, the person. But uh, but I don't mind sharing about me as a person because yeah, brothers and sisters share. So yeah, yeah. Um, so let's get started and tell me how you came to know Jesus because oh, wow. you were an atheist before. Yes. How did you? What started your faith journey and how did you come to know Jesus as Lord? You know, I had some. Methodist cousins who were praying for our family. And somebody in our family had warned them off from trying to witness to us. So they were mm-hmm. just praying. And I, I can see it really goes back further than what I saw at the time. But at the time, you know, I was, I, I said I was an atheist because I thought I could explain everything naturalistically. I think it was maybe around 11. Somewhere. So you knew this from like the very beginning, like oh no, well no, no, I wouldn't say from the beginning. I mean, I didn't think about it at the beginning. Uh huh. But some, I, I think at least around age nine, wow. I, I thought that was the smart thing to be, and uh-huh. and I thought I could explain the, explain our existence without recourse to the hypothesis of a god. Mm-hmm. That's how I would have mm-hmm. put it, which is really. Well, I realize now, you know, I was just a nasty little brat. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like a, you know, an advanced atheist, you know, or something. But anyway, I, around 11, you know, my grandmother, who's uh, who was Catholic, she gave me a good, you know, historic argument. She said, mm-hmm. well, what about a first cause? And I said, no, if you have infinite time, you know, I just postulated infinite regression. You can keep going back further and further and, and you know, uh, of course, modern physics, we know that there isn't infinite time. Uh-huh. But anyway, I didn't know that. I was, I was 11. So <laughs> I, I kept, um, you know, I kept this up. Around the age of 13, when I started reading Plato. Wow, that's I started, amazing. Oh, well, I was reading them in English. I wanted to read Greek, but I couldn't get anybody to teach it to me. So I was just learning pieces here and there. But uh, I was reading Plato and he was talking about the immortality of the soul. And at the same time, I was reading some stuff in, in mathematics about infinity mm-hmm. and thinking about eternity, thinking about immortality. Plato's argument based on the preexistence of the soul, I did not find persuasive. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I was left with 
a big conundrum because I thought I could explain the rest of the universe without recourse to the hypothesis of a god, but I couldn't explain my own consciousness as an individual being. Mm -hmm. You know, here I am, I'm made in the image of God, but I didn't didn't perceive it that way. And I didn't see any way that as a finite being, which I clearly was, I could be immortal. And at the time, I was also hanging out around this medical lab, Uh and they wheeled a a dead body past me. (laughs) So I'm starting to think about death and and the reality of these things. And so I started saying, you know, if there's a god or gods or anything, please show me. And yet, the best I could come to, based on, on my reasoning, uh, which I think there was grace involved in that reasoning, but the best mm-hmm. I could come to in my own thoughts was the only way that a finite being could have immortality was if it was somehow connected to something infinite mm-hmm. that would guarantee that immortality. And the infinite would have to be really loving to even care about a finite right, being. Right, And, wow, even if that being was loving, why would that being love me, seeing that I was an atheist yeah. and I had already blasphemed that being? Yeah. So one day I was on my way home from school and uh, there were a couple fundamental Baptists mm-hmm. who stopped me on the street corner mm-hmm. And I argued with them for 45 minutes. Wow. Because uh, what they were doing, they were trying to show me from the Bible. I was just, I was trying to be polite. That's why I didn't uh-huh. walk off at that point. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, but they, they were trying to show me from the Bible how to be made right with God. And finally, I, I, I didn't want to be rude, but I said, you guys, you keep quoting the Bible, mm-hmm. but I don't believe the Bible. I'm an atheist. So why are you quoting this mm-hmm. to me? Because I thought, you know, 80% of the people in this country, at that time it was about 80%, Uh 80% of the people in this country claim to be Christian, and yet I can't tell by how they live that it makes a difference in their lives. Right, right. I wasn't distinguishing nominal and real. I mean, that that wasn't on my map. So I I said, well, you know, if I ever believed there was a God, I would give God everything. And it looks to me like nobody, most of the people around me don't take God that seriously. Some of them actually did, but most of them... Didn't. Right. Now, were your parents Christians? No. Or? No, okay. No. Uh, no, my mom was an agnostic, and um, my dad was against organized religion. But okay. I didn't even know those things yet, because we just didn't talk about religion right, at right, all. They weren't right. trying to impose it on me. They just didn't, you know, we just didn't talk about religion. Right. So, now my grandparents were Christians. Uh, my, my mother's side were Catholic, and my okay. father's side were Methodist. Okay. So, I was... Um, you know, arguing with them. And when I saw they didn't have anything other than the Bible to hit me with, I said, okay, if there's a God, mm-hmm. where did the dinosaur bones come from? Because <laughs> right. I didn't know. I didn't know much about Christianity, except, you know, I knew they believed in the Trinity. Uh-huh. They believed in Jesus. Mm-hmm. They believed in uh, creation. And they believed in gargoyles. <laughs> you know, so I didn't know a lot. So... They, uh, you know, you ask a stupid question and get a stupid answer. They said the devil put them there to fool us. Yes. So they, you know, 
But they weren't trained in paleontology. They also weren't trained in apologetics, but they weren't trained in paleontology, and, and uh-huh. they weren't the right people to ask for that question. Uh-huh. But they were the people who were available right. to bring the gospel. I'm eternally grateful that they were mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they, what they had shared with me from the Bible that mm-hmm. I didn't believe in mm-hmm. actually was really the gospel mm-hmm. message. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. I started walking away. And they gently, one of them, I could, I could give his name, but one of them gently called after me, uh, you're going to burn in hell forever because you're hardening your heart against God. You'll become oh incapable of repentance. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's what I needed. But, you know, that's not the recommended way to do, like, friendship evangelism or something. But right. anyway, <laughs> yeah, no. But I, I was walking home trembling, and, you know, I got to, I got to my, my bedroom, and, you know, I'd studied different religions. Yeah. I had... I'd made fun of Christians before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had, you know, I'd been more respectful towards some religions than others, but mm-hmm. not towards Christianity. But I was there in my bedroom, and the Holy Spirit was working me over. I had wanted empirical evidence, mm-hmm. and that's great. I mean, that'd make for a great testimony, too, if I could say, well, I, you know, like C.S. Lewis or somebody else right. uh, uh, or uh, William Lane Craig or other people, I think, who who worked their way through evidence. And but right. for me, the kind of evidence God gave me mm-hmm. was something that humbled my intellect. Mm-hmm. He gave me the evidence of His presence. It was an existential encounter, and it was something that was completely undeniable. Yes, it was something I'd never experienced in my life before, and yet it was something that I couldn't really use to persuade somebody else who hadn't experienced right. it. I could only invite them into the same experience. So right. I, you know, I struggled I, with maybe 45 more minutes, struggled there back and forth, but the presence was undeniable. God mm-hmm. wasn't going to let me alone until I made a decision. Mm-hmm. And there's no way, you know, when I've already thought, you know, if there is a God, you know, I gave Christianity maybe a 2% chance of being real, but I didn't want to stake my eternity on, on even 2%. Right. And, and so here it turns out is God has revealed himself in the gospel of Christ to me, mm-hmm. and I have a choice. And there's no way I'm going to tell him to get lost and take a chance for all eternity when God is revealing right. himself to right. me. So finally my knees buckled out from under me. I said, God, okay, I don't understand how this dying and rising again of Jesus can save me. But if that's what you say, I'll believe it. And yet God, I mean, they talked about being saved. They talked about being being right with you. I don't, I don't know how to do that. So God, if, if you want to save me, you're going to have to do it yourself. Yeah. And all of a sudden I felt something rushing through my body like mm-hmm. I had never felt before. Mm-hmm. I jumped up, scared out of my mind. Yeah. And, and I thought uh, either God just came inside of me <laughs> or he's mad at me for being an atheist so long he threw a gargoyle into me. Okay, so my, my theology wasn't instantly changed. Right. Uh, <laughs> but I love how God's grace, like, yes. it, it, it doesn't meet everyone like it met you, but yeah. it meets all of us <laughs> how we need it the yes. most. Yeah, I, w- I would love to have been raised in a, in a Christian home and have that background, um, which I had to you know, work harder to absorb later because I didn't yeah. have it in my childhood. But mm-hmm. So I, I said, well, okay, I don't know if I'm saved or not. 
And I really think I was at that point. But mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I didn't, my theology of it wasn't, wasn't we sound. had no foundation or yeah. anything to go on. Yeah. So I said, I don't know if, if I'm saved or not, but God, if, uh, anyway, I've always said, if I know that there's a God, I'll give God everything because uh-huh. you made me, I belong to you. So I'm going to be a Christian no matter what. Uh-huh. And so I, um, back then, you know, uh, Gideon's used to give out pocket oh. New Testaments. Oh, yes, yes. So I, I, uh, just, uh, I, I had it from years earlier. I'd not done anything with it, but I, I, um, you know, kept rooting through my room yeah, until I, yeah. until I found it. And so I could start reading in that and start finding out about, about this God. And then I also decided I'd better, I'd better find a church. And there was this one pastor who used to see me sometimes running to school in the mm-hmm, rain, mm-hmm. and he would give me a ride. And so I always thought, you know, if I ever you know, wow. visit a church just out of courtesy to the Christians, that, that'll be the one to visit. Wow. It was what, also the nearest one to my house. Yeah, but what a simple act of kindness to you <laughs> yeah. that later had such a profound influence on yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, nowadays you don't want to accept rides from strangers, but he, he was taking his daughter to school. She was, um, she, she was I think, a year behind me in mm-hmm. school. So, I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, there's more, more details. But I, so I visited the church that Sunday, mm-hmm. and everybody was friendly. They invited me back that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, I was a little strange. I was, uh, I mean, I had socks that didn't match. I was, <laughs> you know, half shaven. Now, of course, I have a beard. But... <laughs> When uh, when I went there, I got there too early at first and then came back later and, and Sunday school uh-huh. was in progress. Mm-hmm. And my big thing was I wanted to be an astrophysicist. And I was afraid that if I became a Christian, I had to, I had to dismiss science. And oh, that was so yes. hard on me. Yes. But, the, but the Sunday school lesson was on how science backs the Bible. Now, oh. whether or not they got everything right on that. They, I love that. They, you know, it was a... An encouragement to me that I could still love science. I could still pursue science. Uh, I didn't turn out to be an astrophysicist, but... Right, but one does not preclude the (laughs) other. Right, one does not preclude the other. And uh, I did get to learn more about astrophysics since then. But anyway, so that encouraged me. They invited me back to church that night. and I came back. And that night, uh, people were praying after Mm -hmm. the service Mm -hmm. at, at the altar. And... I just was doing it like, you know, I was trying, I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. And right. I didn't know if I was really, if I really counted as a Christian yet. Yes. But, but I was committed to, to follow it. But, um, you know, so I, I had my hands folded because I yes. thought that's the way you're supposed to pray. And the, the pastor tapped me on the shoulder and he said, now, are you sure that you are saved? I said, no. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I I'm so glad honesty. he did that. Yes. Because, because, uh, you know, I thought, okay. Maybe this is what a hypocrite is, somebody who, who tries to be a Christian, but they're not. I don't know if I'm, if I'm real or not. So he, he took me aside and prayed with me. Mm-hmm. And it was basically what had, had happened the day uh, or two days before. Mm-hmm. But as, as I, this time I felt the same overwhelming sense of God's presence. Mm-hmm. And there was no way that I could praise him enough unless he gave me the words to do it. Mm-hmm. And God knows lots of languages, right? So it right. starts coming out in another language. It could have come out in English, it yeah. would have been, but it starts coming out in another language. 
And of course, I hadn't read the Bible. Uh-huh. I didn't know what that was. I didn't yeah. know there was a name yeah. for that. <laughs> but it was... It was that, that's amazing. <laughs> it was punctuated with this deep, cathartic laughter. And this was before people started talking about, about that uh-huh. uh, phenomenon. But uh, it was just joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, uh-huh. joy like I'd never experienced yeah. in my life before. It was a it was a total different. Again, I know it doesn't happen to everybody, but right. you know, I needed something, you know, to like be able anch- to look back yeah, on. An yeah, point. Yeah. So, uh, I oh, I had so much growing to do from there. Um, I think everybody who becomes a Christian <laughs> does. Yeah. I've had similar feelings. Am I am I yeah. sure? I'm, I've asked Jesus, but. I don't feel, always feel, you know, so that was a good Oh, I don't always feel. That's Yes, you know, but I can identify it in some ways with what you're saying. Yeah, it was just overwhelming right up up front at the Mm -hmm. beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, then there were other things like when people would pray for the sick and they'd actually get healed. That blew my mind because... Because it's one thing to believe God does spiritual things, mm-hmm. but to believe he does material things, that was like a, that was another level. It, it took me a long time to uh, get a hold of that. But uh, I started sharing, sharing Christ with people. And, and you were 15? When I this, was 15. When this all happened. Yeah, I was 15. I started sharing Christ with people and people actually started, you know, accepting yeah. Christ. Yeah. And about 50 of them before I finished high school. Now, That's a few of them were my peers. Most mm-hmm. of them were not, mm-hmm. uh, not in the high school, mm-hmm. but, uh, in, 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 you know, I was, I didn't really know exactly what I was doing. So I did try to follow up, but I didn't really disciple them that well. I discipled a few of them, but how am I going to disciple them when I don't know what I'm doing? Right. Uh, but, but I also, after a while, uh, especially in a crisis time in my life, I realized, okay, I don't know the Bible that well. The little kids mm-hmm. in Sunday school know it better than mm-hmm. I do. So I, I started studying it really intensively, mm-hmm. and I got to a place where I realized if I read 40 chapters a day, I can read through the New Testament every week, or I can read through the Bible once a month. And so I'm trying to catch up with the kids in Sunday wow. school. But that, that laid a good foundation. And eventually, you know, after a few weeks of reading through the New Testament every week, the isolated verses that I had started memorizing uh-huh. were no longer isolated like here's here's an important verse and here's another one with blank space in between. Mm-hmm. I began to think in context. Right. Think of the whole flow of this letter of Paul right. or this, uh, you know, this gospel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah, it was wonderful. But eventually, what that also provoked was a recognition that I needed some background information. Right. So is this what led you to want to be a scholar? Eventually. Okay. I mean, initially, I was intuitively reading the New Testament mm-hmm. in light of the ancient Greek and Roman things that I'd read before. Right. You know, before I was a Christian, which I, I gave up after I was a Christian uh-huh. for a long time until I realized I could use these. Right, because they're helpful, <laughs> yeah. right? To, yeah. like, different writers. Yeah. So, you know. Oh, Tacitus, which I read when I was 12, was so... Valuable. Yeah. Plato, I read too much of Plato into Paul, got some things wrong that way, uh, came out with a semi Gnostic <laughs> state for a while. But um, Greek mythology, you know, I was reading the Iliad when I was 12 uh, also. That that didn't help me so much. That was, uh, but, but uh, you know, the first time I'm, I'm reading Acts 14, 
And there's this, um, you know, the, the people in that area are calling Paul and Barnabas Zeus and Hermes mm-hmm. uh, because they've done a miracle. And, you know, the thing I'm thinking immediately mm-hmm. is of Ovid's Metamorphosis and Balkus and Philemon. And then when I'm, I get to Genesis 6, I'm like, oh, no, this was plagiarized from the Greek myth of Deucalion and Pyra. Of course, it's older than the Deucalion and yes, Pyra myth, yes. and the ancient Near Eastern forms of it are older than the, the Greek uh-huh, form of them. Uh-huh. But I, I was uh, – anyway, so I'm struggling with all this as a young Christian, but these are intuitive things. I'm, oh. I'm saying I don't need background initially because mm-hmm. that, would, that would be adding to the Bible – uh, but it's not really adding to the Bible because we intuitively read it in light of our context. Right. And what I needed was the original context because there's some things that the writers didn't explain to their audience because they didn't they, have to. They already knew it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like Mark explains a Jewish custom in Mark chapter 7, Pharisaic mm-hmm. custom. And then, you know, Matthew, who's writing to a Jewish audience in mm-hmm. Matthew 15, has got the same material, but he leaves out the explanation because they don't need it. So often writers presupposed this information. It's actually part of the meaning. Now, not mm-hmm. all background right. is that important, but some of it really helps us understand right. it better. And yeah. So is that where, how, why is it so important that we read the Bible in, in context as 21st century people? Like, and how can we do that too? Yeah. I mean, I mean, in a lot of cultures, their intuition may be closer to right. If you live mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. in a rural African village, which probably most hearers of this podcast don't, but if you live in a rural African village, uh-huh. you know, or, or you you're a pastoral nomad, mm-hmm. hey, Genesis is going to make more sense to you in some terms. I mean, the mm-hmm. ancient Near East background is important, mm-hmm. but there's there's some things that my wife, growing up in a small African village, understood intuitively when we were doing devotions together in Genesis, Mm -hmm. she was able to explain to me these weird childbirths. I was like, you know, I believe in the Bible, but uh, how could, how could a baby come out like that? And she says, babies do come out like that. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. So there's some things that, you know, if you're part of that culture, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. The, there were things that from the Greek world, I understood intuitively in Mm -hmm. the new Testament Mm -hmm. because of my Greek background, you know, my mm-hmm. background in Greek literature. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the Jewish context, mm-hmm. oh, I had so much to learn. And like the symbols in Revelation, mm-hmm. I had not the slightest idea what to do with Revelation initially. Yeah. I mean, obviously reading the Old Testament helps. That's a major part of the background. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, reading some Jewish apocalyptic literature like First Enoch. But yeah, I had so much to learn. What eventually... Initially, I was like, okay, we can't say we need background. But that was like saying, okay, we don't need translations. We just read it in the oh. Greek and the Holy Spirit will give us the meaning. Right, yeah. So in, initially, I was saying, okay, we have to wear, women have to wear head coverings. Everybody has to greet one another with holy kisses. <laughs> and my parents need to arrange my marriage, although I'm not going to tell them that yet. <laughs> and but um, But the more I read through the scriptures, the mm-hmm. more I realized they were taking certain things for granted. And it really hit me one day as I was rereading uh-huh. Romans, got to Romans 1-7. Paul says he's writing this to the church, or to the saints in Rome, mm-hmm. to the believers in Rome. And I'm like, oh boy, if I take this verse mm-hmm. as seriously as I take like 323 or 623 or mm-hmm. whatever, if I take this verse seriously, 
this is a letter to the church in Rome, and I need to read the rest of the letter that way. I need to yeah. take into account that Paul is addressing things in the church in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, when when Paul, toward the end of the letter, uh, you know, commends Phoebe or or greets his friends in Rome, uh, I don't have to allegorize those and make those into some symbols mm-hmm. for today. These are mm-hmm. his friends, mm-hmm. and that gave me a new window on how to mm-hmm. take all of the text seriously and try to begin to read it consistently. To do that, I realized, okay, I'm going to really have to dig into the background more. Mm-hmm. And I read one book on Judaism, hoping that would that would solve everything. Uh-huh. And everything was fine until I read my second book on Judaism, and that contradicted some <laughs> things in the first one. I'm like, I called my... Uh, by this time I was in Bible college, I called my professor at home. I was so distressed. I don't recommend you do that, but uh, now that I'm a professor. But uh, I think it's the only time I, I did that with a professor in, in college or seminary or doctoral work. But he he said, oh, just keep reading. You'll eventually learn enough. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So up until the time you went to Bible college, were you learning all of this on your own? I, I, was, I started learning Greek. So the first... The first, well, I, I'd been starting to learn some on my own, but I really started learning it um, more deliberately at this point. I got a uh, a Greek interlinear, mm-hmm. which helps with the um, helps with the vocabulary, not necessarily with the grammar. Mm-hmm. But then I started taking Greek and Hebrew my my freshman year mm-hmm. at Bible college, and. The first three weeks, I knew all the Greek words. <laughs> wow! So wow. that 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 helped me, but uh, I still had a lot of I had a lot to learn. It was so much, and and I started seeing the need for the background, and I realized, okay, the teachers don't know all the background, right? right. So they can't yeah. teach it to me. Somebody needs to supply it to the teachers, and all I wanted, I wanted like a commentary. It would just yeah. give me the background. I could figure out the context of my own. Just give me mm-hmm. the background, yeah. verse by verse or passage by passage, and then I'll just go out and preach. That's all I need. <laughs> I wasn't going to go to seminary right. or anything. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> but no. But I, sh- you know, I shouldn't say that, right? I'm a seminary professor. But that's, that's the way I felt. I just wanted to go out and preach, but I needed the background. Yeah. And, and so I ended up, you know, doing some graduate work at the mm-hmm. State University on mm-hmm. ancient Near East. And then my, my Greek being much better than my Hebrew, um, you know, I ended up in New Testament. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to seminary, um, went from there to Duke University to do my yeah. PhD. And so toward the end of my PhD at Duke in, in New Testament, uh, where I, I minored in Greco-Roman, mm-hmm. um, Greco-Roman antiquity, and in early Judaism. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, really with the focus on the background. I, I decided, you know, by the time that I finish this, mm-hmm. if nobody has produced, like, a background commentary yeah. like that, I'm going to do it. And you did it, right? Is that- I did, yeah. Uh, I proposed it to InterVarsity Press. Uh-huh. I was involved with the InterVarsity Fellowship there, and I wrote an article for um, Evangelicals for Social Action. Mm-hmm. On, on James mm-hmm. and nonviolence. And then uh, somebody read that from InterVarsity and contacted me. Mm-hmm. So I, I wrote, well, I proposed the background commentary to them. But 
I was I was really getting nervous toward the yeah. time that I was about to graduate mm-hmm. because I didn't have a teaching position yet. Oh yeah. And there were not a whole lot of teaching positions available. One mm-hmm. major denomination had just purged its seminaries, so there were a lot of a lot oh, of uh, yeah. senior professors out looking for jobs. And yeah. there were a tough uh, job market. <laughs> it was yeah, it was not too good at that time. And none of us who were graduating with our PhD in New Testament at that time had a teaching position yet. Oh wow! And this was wow. Duke. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's, I'm sure they would get him now, but well, pretty sure. But anyway. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't understand. It was like, God, you've provided for me year after year. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the day before I was going to call Duke and tell him I couldn't come, the money was provided. Mm-hmm. And wow, that that was it, it, it. key moments in my life. It wasn't because of my great faith. It was God mm-hmm. protecting his calling and mm-hmm. looking out for me, mm-hmm. um, knowing that, you know, I'm ADHD. So working in a department store probably would have frazzled me. <laughs> uh, and it would as, frazzle me too. <laughs> and as a pa- I mean, a pastor, I, I mean, I would have maybe been all right with that, but I still would have been pretty frazzled, I, mm-hmm. especially being a big introvert. But that can uh, be tough. Yeah, although a lot of pastors are introverts. But I, I was uh, like, God, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And then one Sunday, a friend told me, "Well, just." Tell God how much you need. Figure it out. Tell God how much you need. Yeah. And pray specifically. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't think it works like that. But anyway, I did figure out how much I needed yeah. to live on that year. And I thought, God, there's no way I can I can do this. Mm-hmm. I mean. And this was after you graduated. Like, yeah. Year. Well, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It actually was after May was graduation. Although I was I was an associate pastor in an African American Baptist church oh, at that right. time, so I, I want didn't... to talk about that first time too. <laughs> so, so I didn't uh, end up going to um, my graduation because it was on a Sunday and I had church responsibilities. Oh wow, yeah. But I was, um, you know, so this was like I think it was maybe July. I, I could go back and look at my journal and get mm-hmm. the exact date, but somewhere around there in a Sunday. Sunday evening, I figured out how much I was going to need to live in, live on that year to keep my apartment mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't be on the street and my research files, I had a lot of research, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't sure be on did. the street. Uh, back then, you know, you couldn't put it all on your laptop. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't have a laptop, but anyway, so I was uh, just, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'd been trying to have faith, trying to have faith, but at this point, it was like, God, unless you do a miracle, I'm going to be on the street this year. Mm-hmm. Less than 24 hours later, InterVarsity mm-hmm. Press calls me back and says, we we want to do the book and we'd like to offer you an advance. Amazing. And it was to the dollar what I decided the night before I needed to live on that year. God is so good. Yeah. So amazing. I mean, I, mean, I don't experience things like that every day. I mean, mm-hmm. God is with me every day. But, you know, a lot of days are yeah. tedious work, but it's just beautiful when when you see God's faithfulness to what he's called you to do. Yeah. So that year, I didn't have a teaching position because I needed to get that background but you, commentary but written. you wrote, yeah. Yeah. And so now you've written, I think, 25 books. Is that uh, is that the latest count? That's what I found. Something something like that. I 
I haven't updated it lately, but... Okay. <laughs> I remember one summer I was writing press releases and I felt like every couple of weeks you had a new book no, out. No, and no, I was no, like, no. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. So after so many books, Dr. Keener, why, why do you keep writing? Like what, <laughs> I mean, I'm not being, no. why, why, like what message do you still hope to get out there? Well, uh, but by, by the way, the Acts commentary took me about 10 years. Yeah. So the books are coming out fast now, <laughs> but they weren't coming out fast then. Right. That was before I was at Asbury, but oh, yeah. uh, But that was uh, at Palmer Seminary. So um, I know this is an Asbury broadcast, but I, I do want to give them credit. Oh, yeah, because Because <laughs> they, they had to put up with me spending 10 years writing one book. I, I did have a few come out then, but, um, but yeah, they're com- – they're, yeah. it, it's – I don't know if you're allowed to say this in a broadcast, but it was like they were constipated for a while. <laughs> now they're all coming out. <laughs> uh, I love that. Anyway, um, why do I keep writing? I mean, the background commentary was just something I felt needed to be done. Mm-hmm. And then some of the other books, well, some people said, how do we know the background commentary is accurate? You don't give us all the mm-hmm. all the documentation, mm-hmm. which I, I couldn't give all the documentation and people would actually read the book. So. <laughs> So I said, okay, well, I need to start producing the commentaries with all the documentation. Yeah. And, and also, you know, the more I dig into it, the more I find. And that enabled me to revise the background commentary in 2014. Mm-hmm. Also, there were some things in prayer I felt I needed to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was my first book. It's really not well written, but it served the purpose for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one... The first one was on divorce and remarriage. The second one was on um, Paul's teaching on women. Mm -hmm. And that came partly, I felt it in prayer, but partly also because I had had so many women friends Mm -hmm. who were called to ministry Mm -hmm. and they were just being dissed by people and and put down and struggling with that in, in some of the circles I was in. Circles that actually... Some, sometimes circles that affirmed women in ministry on paper. To a certain point, <laughs> but, yes. But not, didn't really support it. Uh-huh. And then, uh, but also it was an apologetics issue mm, because uh-huh. at Duke, there were, I mean, there were feminists, some of them were Christian, some of them were uh-huh, not. Uh-huh. But the big, it was a big apologetics issue because, you know, my my work in the Bible is especially well. Of course, I do literary work because that's mm-hmm. the Bible's literature. Uh, I mean, it's more than literature because it's God's word, mm-hmm. but it's also given to us in textual form. So yes. you pay attention to its literary form, but also in background. That's the thing that people don't just get automatically mm-hmm. reading it themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's what I. That's why I call background. Mm-hmm. So I work especially in that. But the big apologetics issues at, at Duke at that time were not historical. Mm-hmm. Um, reliability. I mean, it was with some people, but but most of the undergraduates I knew and some others, the issue was Christianity was racist, sexist, and imperialist. Oh, yeah. And so answering yeah. that sexist issue was like, well, you know, that was one of the key... This is another reason I wrote it, because that was one of the places where I thought background really makes a, a big difference in yeah. our interpretation of the text. Kind of- Takes down those arguments and shows that it, that it wasn't. Yeah, no. It, Paul was, I mean, for his day, 
it's not like he was the only progressive voice in his mm-hmm. day, but he was on the very progressive end of the spectrum mm-hmm. on on these questions. And uh, I know I've been blasted for that uh, from both sides sometimes. That was actually the most controversial book I ever wrote, right there at the beginning of my career. Way to start off. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the background commentary, which I'd been working on before, actually mm-hmm. came out after that one. But then um, there were also a couple books that I wrote with uh, one of my one of my students uh-huh. there at the African American Seminary, where yes. I started teaching. Mm-hmm. Once I, you know, after that first year mm-hmm. of uh, of writing, mm-hmm. and uh, he and I both had a had a vision. He he had been about to convert to Islam. When he heard a voice saying, "I'm the way and the truth and the life," he didn't even know the voice was. He didn't know that was in the Bible, wow. but um, he he became a follower of Jesus, and he and I uh, worked together on a couple books mm-hmm. that were apologetics for, say, what the Nation of Islam and some other groups were doing. Because mm-hmm. I was I was teaching there at an African American yeah. campus, mm-hmm. and these were live issues there. The idea that Christianity is a white a white man's religion, that's just not true. Right, right. I, I mean, Aksum in East Africa converted to Christianity about the same time the Roman Empire did. Mm-hmm. It's just um, a Eurocentric presentation of the evidence, which, I mean, today we've moved mostly beyond that. Mm-hmm. But back in the in the mid-'90s, that was still a live issue. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so Duke, let's go back to Duke a little okay. bit. That was where you met your wife, Medine, although you didn't yes. know she was your wife at the time. no. Oh, if I'd known she was my wife, it would have scared her out of her mind. I would have gone up and and kissed her and and proposed to her, and she would have said, you are out of your mind. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your your story together. Yeah. Well, Medine, yeah, well, there's a long backstory to it, but I'll just start there at Duke. Um, I was was praying for my future wife, Mm -hmm. and... Uh, when I when I met Medine, mm-hmm. we, we, uh, she first came. She was an exchange student. She was doing mm-hmm. her PhD in history at University of Paris Seven. She was doing her PhD uh, dissertation on African American history after uh, after Reconstruction ended. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, African American women after <laughs> Reconstruction ended, which kind of went along with your oh. or, your book that you wrote. Well, uh, there, uh, later. Later, okay. Uh, but but it, before before we got married, but after I met her. Yes. So and and I also had uh, African friends when I was in seminary, right? From Ghana and elsewhere. So, uh, and my next door neighbor, where I first lived when I was at Duke, was from Nigeria. Okay. And and so I. I and you went to an African American church too. Yeah, and I was ordained in an African American church. Now, the African-American culture I felt at home with, the African mm. African cultures were mm-hmm. not, I mean, those were still kind of, I had friends from those cultures, but mm-hmm. considering a relationship like marriage, that was like a step beyond what I felt capable of. I, mm-hmm. I understood there were cultural differences. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd done a lot of work in intercultural studies in seminary. So when, uh, <clears throat> but we met through InterVarsity, our our graduate group then was pretty small, and she had come over to study us, mm-hmm. to study Americans, <laughs> uh, or more technically, to to look at uh, primary sources on African American women after Reconstruction. Okay. So she was doing research while she was in the U.S. for those eight months. 
But um, the first time I saw her, I knew she was lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that doesn't automatically mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did mean I was open <laughs> on that level. But <laughs> that's where it starts, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing you see. And also, she was she was really smart, and she was godly. I we we also um, for the graduate group, each of us would contribute something from mm-hmm. from our own discipline. So mm-hmm. uh, one of the uh, a couple of students who were scientists would contribute um, science and Christianity discussions, um, and. Uh, somebody from the English department mm-hmm. did something on literary criticism and and the ethics of certain kinds of literary yes. criticism, mm-hmm. which I found very enlightening. Yes. And, you know, I was going to obviously do something from the Bible. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, everybody's doing something from their own denominational backgrounds. We had mm-hmm. Catholic, Orthodox, mm-hmm. you know, a range of, of denominations there. You know, and, and I was attending a Pentecostal church at that time mm-hmm. uh, where I prophesied pretty much every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, just so everybody understands what that means, uh, it's not adding to the Bible. It's <laughs> I was it was mostly, um, I mean, the same kind of message you have in the Bible, but just applied to the local situation. Just as the Spirit would move me to to speak mm-hmm. out what I felt mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. was saying. Mm-hmm. So in any case, uh, I I did the Bible study on on tongues because That's that was a precious yes. experience to me. Yes. I wasn't saying everybody had to do it. I was just saying, you know, because I figured most of the people there didn't know much right. about it. And it was from your experience and where yeah. you first met Jesus? And- yeah. And Medine started, well, actually, we would had really good conversation on the way there. Uh-huh. But then she starts arguing with me about it. Now, what I didn't understand was that she had been in a church where everybody, they, they said, you have to speak in tongues. You're not oh, spiritual. Yeah. So that's where her resistance is coming from. She 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 wasn't against the mm-hmm. gift. She just was against the requirement. Everybody's yes. having to do it. And so, you know, we got into a debate and I'm thinking <laughs> she's against speaking in tongues. This can't be a relationship because you know, we we are uh you know, I pray in tongues. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But then I felt bad afterwards cuz cuz you know, we'd been debating and she didn't see anything wrong with a friendly debate, but the kind of setting in which I'd grown up, uh, arguments often were expressed in anger, and oh. sometimes I got beaten oh. and things oh. like that. So mm-hmm. I took um, I took it more seriously. Well, yes. And th- there's an advantage of taking things seriously because you go back and you check yourself, and you mm-hmm. you know you you make sure you're right or you change. Uh, yes. And, and so but it was good a, for me as yes. a scholar mm-hmm. in that sense, but it wasn't good for me at, at that time when I thought that, you know, it was expressed hostility. So uh, I I had gotten some free South Africa T-shirts. This was during the era of apartheid. Oh, yes. And I gave her one just That's as a gift. Nice. Yeah, and she, she thought that was a nice gesture. I sat with her. Gordon Fee came and lectured at, at the uh, Presbyterian, uh, it was an evangelical Presbyterian church, mm-hmm. uh, evangelical PCUSA church at that time, where she was attending while she was there. Uh, I was attending Black Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, yeah, I talked about Pentecostal. I shifted to the Black Baptist Church. Okay. Uh, was that before she, I think that was, 
It was either before she came or about the time she came. So, because I felt like the Lord wanted me to, mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but we, we stayed friends. Mm -hmm. And I was really impressed with her other, other ways because I'd witnessed to somebody on campus and they'd say, oh yeah, Medin Musunga told me the same thing. Wow. So I figured, okay, she's fired up for the Lord. And she went, she went back to France to finish her okay. PhD. And did you guys keep in touch? Then? Oh yeah, 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 we did. Uh, yeah, I, I always loved hearing from Medine. I, mean, I was very fond of her, uh -huh. but I felt like there was, you know, it couldn't go beyond that unless the Lord did something dramatic. Right, you couldn't have a relationship; you just had to stay. Yeah, friends. I mean, yeah, friendship, relationship, mm -hmm. brother and sister. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but it, the friendship developed over time; became very close. Mm -hmm. Until you know, she she wrote in one letter, I was her best friend. Aww. And then she, well, finally our feelings started coming out, our fondness for each other. Yes. And I said, you know, I have fond feelings for you, but I'm not like implying it should go anywhere because I, I just don't think that's going to work. I'm called to ministry. Mm -hmm. I need somebody who's called to ministry, mm -hmm. has a passion for ministry. They're not mm -hmm. going to understand me. Right. I mean, that makes sense. You have to yeah. be on the same, same wavelength. Yeah. And she said, well, she expressed her fondness to me mm -hmm. and said, I, I'm not called to ministry. And I skipped to the end of the letter because I could see where this was going. Oh. And, and, and so somehow, see, I was so busy. I was writing books. I was mm -hmm. doing all this. Somehow... I forgot to ever come back to the middle of the letter where she described, yes, oh, where no. she just, those of you who are listening, you should see <laughs> the, the, uh, the horror in my interview's <laughs> face. So I, I was, um, in the middle of the letter, explain the middle more, of the letter, yeah. she, she was on the leadership team of a church that she helped plant. She was doing uh -huh. open air evangelism in, uh, in, in Paris. Uh -huh. she, she was doing, uh, door-to-door -door evangelism in Muslim mm -hmm. neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. She was counseling people on drugs to get them off drugs. Oh my she goodness. was doing all sorts of ministry yes, yes. while she was working on her dissertation. But she thought by ministry, I meant pastor or missionary. I see. I, I see. was defining ministry a whole lot more broadly than that. Oh, yes. It's just, <laughs> just a miscommunication. Does she yeah. give you a hard time about not reading the Oh, middle? now she does, yeah. <laughs> Once in a while she does, yeah. Uh, so... The year, you know, I said, well, okay, we, we shouldn't pursue anything. Mm -hmm. We'll just be friends. But I'll be praying that God will give you a good husband. And you can mm. pray that God will give me a good wife. Oh, you know, yeah. we were brother and sister. But she she got the letter back. She had felt like I was her future husband. And she felt crushed. And, oh, yeah. And she, she, uh, she said, well, God, because in her culture, the woman's not allowed to express anything. So oh, when she yeah. was... Er, Unless the man does it mm -hmm, first, mm -hmm. which, which you know, I was I was a duke. You know, the feminism. You mm -hmm. know, let the woman do it first. It might be sexual harassment <laughs> if the man does it. So it was. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a little bit overstated, but yeah, uh, just, in that yeah. context. But I was I mean, one time. I held a door open for you know just whoever was behind me. It happened to be a woman. She glared at me like, "How dare you?" Oh my! Uh, well, that that wasn't the usual response, right. but it made me wonder like. How can just I? different perspectives <laughs> on how you pursue yeah. things, yeah. Yeah. So uh, 
and this isn't like saying everybody dukes like that. That was one person. But anyway, of course. Uh, well, war broke out in her country mm-hmm. and she was about to go back. And I said, no, no don't go back if there's mm-hmm. war there. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I think I can get you a job here where I'm mm-hmm. teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and you she, decided just to be friends at this point. Yeah, yeah, just friends. She said, no, I think I need to go back and be mm-hmm. with my family mm-hmm. and help them. And what she didn't tell me was that she was afraid to be near me and not be able to express her heart. Oh. It saved it saved her family's lives though. She she was the one who was able healthy enough, sometimes the, the only one, sometimes to be able to walk five miles wow. a day during war mm-hmm. through snake infested swamps and oh. fields of army ants. I'm terrified. Having of to snakes, pick so, the yeah. ants off her body. To, yeah, and the snakes there were poisonous. Mm-hmm. Um, to get the uh, the food mm. for her family. I mean, mm-hmm. that was just cassava roots a lot of times mm-hmm. was all they had to eat. But um, they were refugees for 18 months. Wow. Did and, you hear from her at all during – you knew she was uh, going back and then did you I, I did between else? two times. I mean, the, she actually became a refugee from Brazzaville okay. at one point. But that was that was a quick mm-hmm. flight from Brazzaville uh, when she had to flee there. She could have died in that situation, but I'm skipping a whole lot. But it's in the book, Impossible Love. <laughs> yes, and we'll have it all linked in the show notes, all of Dr. <laughs> Keener's books, and I would recommend yeah. that you get all of them. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, different people might – different books might be more relevant for certain people. But yes. Scholars might want Acts commentary and – well, anybody might like Impossible Love. It doesn't take that long to read. But um, Medine – Nadine was, uh, she wrote me after she got got to her, her town. But then when her town came under siege, last letter I got from her, she didn't know if she was going to live or die. Oh, my. Because government troops had just started, or actually the mercenaries working for the government troops had just started um, invading the city. Mm. And she she sent this letter out by somebody who was leaving town. Mm-hmm. They mailed it from another country. She said her cousin had just been shot dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd been shot in the night and was crying out during the night, and everybody was scared to come out oh. uh, in the in the, in the part of yeah. town where he was shot. Yeah. He was trying to defend his girlfriend from being harassed by one of the soldiers. Mm-hmm. And you know, by morning he was dead. Mm-hmm. Her her brother and father had nearly been shot dead. And so she said, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. Please pray for me. Oh, my goodness. And she knew that whatever else, I was going to pray for her. Yeah. And I was, actually, I get a lot of other people to pray for her, too. But that was the last I heard from her for 18 months. Wow. I didn't know if she was alive or dead. Oh and that my. gave me some time to deal with my feelings. But yeah. I felt like, Lord, if I had married her, she wouldn't be going through this. And I felt like the Lord said, my child, I know you did what you thought was my will. Mm-hmm. And I will do what is best for her and what is best for you. Mm. It's so hard to trust in <sighs> that moment. But yeah, that's my father, my heavenly father speaking. And that was all I had to go on. Mm-hmm. And a few days later, I felt like she, she'd always invited me to visit Congo, and she'd translate for me if I mm-hmm. preached there. So a few days later, I felt like 
the Lord just spoke to you. And this wasn't, you know, I, I'd been praying, but mm-hmm. this didn't happen when I was praying. This happened when I was fixing lunch or something. <laughs> um, I just felt like the Lord spontaneously spoke and said, someday you'll minister together in Francophone Africa. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that means she's going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wasn't thinking it meant we'd get married. but Right. Um, but then... Just thinking about her and her yeah, safety. Yeah. And praying for her and her family. And, you know, there's certain things in the Bible I knew we were allowed to pray for, but, but safety, you know, I had to mind the Psalms <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and learn some prayers, uh, learn some things about praying about, about that. And, of course, there's plenty in the Bible about mm-hmm. praying for that. But sometimes, you know, you see things in the Bible when you look for them. And that was the case with ethnic reconciliation. Mm-hmm. It was when I joined an African-American Baptist church. Of course, I believed in, in ethnic reconciliation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I didn't know that the Bible had much to say about it. Right. But, of course, all this stuff in the New Testament about Jew-Gentile or, or Jew-Samaritan. Yeah, it's all about. If God would summon us to surmount a barrier that he himself established, how much more would he summon us to surmount all other ethnic barriers? Yeah. And it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so I began really uh, growing in those things. Yeah, so Maydeen and I were, well, yeah, both fond of each other. Mm-hmm. And you knew she was going to survive. Like, at what point in the 18 months did you feel, you know, that God had answered your prayer? <laughs> well, sometimes I struggled to, mm-hmm. to believe because all I had to go on were those two first words from the Lord. And also when I would pray about my future wife, sometimes I'd name particular people. Mm -hmm. And there was one friend I had where I felt like the Lord said, you know, it could work, but that's not my best plan for you. And then there were some other people that I thought would be great. He said, no, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, or or I just didn't feel a peace about Uh it. And then, then I prayed about Medine and I just heard silence. I wasn't hearing anything either way, which I thought, well. At least it's not a no. <laughs> now, when you say hear something, what do you mean? Uh, it wasn't an audible voice. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've, I've never had an audible voice. I've never had a vision. Okay. Just but trying to be sensitive to the to the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, sometimes things have been clearer than others. <laughs> My coming here to Asbury, well, some <laughs> things were clear in retrospect, but that was a... That, that but was, in the moment, it was more kind of... <laughs> In the moment, but she heard clearly. That was after we were married. She okay. heard clearly we're supposed to come to Asbury. So Interesting. thank God yeah. for her sensitivity of the spirit there. Uh, and and since then, sometimes we've had uh, dreams that are very clear, very clear direction. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another story. But at that time, I was just praying for. I was asking people in church to pray for. Mm-hmm. I asked my students to pray for because mm-hmm. I was really concerned mm-hmm. for her safety. So you were back to teaching. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was teaching. Okay. Uh, at that time, I was teaching at seminary in Philadelphia. Okay. And uh, I was on staff with an um, African-American megachurch there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as megachurch initially when I joined it, but it mm-hmm. grew and grew mm-hmm. and became the largest in Philadelphia, wow. which was a great place to teach, um, 
But for the familial type setting of New Testament house churches, we had to have small groups. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. But Medine had been going through all this. Well, finally, the war ends enough after 18 mm-hmm. months. And so I'm checking my, my mailbox, as I did every day, mm-hmm. looking for a letter from Medine. Mm-hmm. Even though I knew very well that if her town had been burned to the ground, which it was after mm-hmm. she let, sent the letter, mm-hmm. I mean, by the time the letter reached me, her town had been burned down. Oh, wow. Or most of it had been mm-hmm. burned down. And so she and her house had been destroyed. Oh. Their, their family home, everything they had mm-hmm. had been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Family pictures, almost all the pictures. Oh. They found some in a plastic bag under some ashes, thank God. Oh. I don't know yeah. how, but the Lord <laughs> yeah. protected some things. What a gift, yeah. Um, but she... Um, anyway, finally, one day I, I opened my, my mailbox, mm-hmm. and even though her address book had been burned, she found a way to find my address oh. of the Craig Keener who writes books. Now, oh. that could have been dangerous because there's another Craig Keener, another Craig S. Keener who writes books. <laughs> he, he writes on Native American archaeology, which is a great subject. Uh-huh. Um, I hope he's not embarrassed about my book. <laughs> I hope you know he doesn't get blamed for what I write. But anyway, um, she could have married the wrong guy. I joked to her, but <laughs> <laughs> written the wrong guy. And accepted. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, she wrote to me, and and I was so elated. The letter started out, "I'm alive. I'm Aideen mm-hmm. Musunga. I'm alive." Mm-hmm. And it progressed from there. And meanwhile, I was. Suppressing my heart, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of pain in my heart, and I was just running from it, burying myself in my work. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I still work a lot, mm-hmm. but I enjoy my work. Mm-hmm. But at that point, I was burying myself in my work, and sometimes I was sleeping just three hours a night. Oh my goodness! And. I knew people who did that. They seemed to get along fine. Uh-huh. Doesn't work for me. <laughs> no, it wouldn't work for me either. I ended up in the hospital. Oh, no. I collapsed in the middle of a class. Oh, my. It was a morning class. I'm not a morning person. Mm. Anyway, uh, that was one of the reasons for the three hours of sleep. But, uh-huh. uh, it was that time while I was flat on my back, uh-huh. uh, after I got out of the hospital, flat on my back in my efficiency apartment, I get a note from Medine where she she went beyond what was considered appropriate for oh. an African woman. She shared her feelings again. Oh, good. And this this time, though, she decided, she didn't say this, but she decided that if, if I said no or if I didn't respond mm-hmm. favorably for the sake of her heart, she was going to quit writing. Oh, yeah. And I got the letter, uh-huh. and my heart leaped. It's like, oh, I really love Medine, but I can't, I don't think I can do this. Uh-huh. I would have to hear from God uh-huh. to to step out on this, because I just don't know if she can share my calling. Uh-huh. And I, I, all I, the one thing I know for sure is my calling. I have to do that. Mm-hmm. And anything that doesn't fit with that, I can't do. Which is admirable because sometimes people fall in love and give up their calling. Yeah. Can't do that. Yeah. And so 
I, I said, well, I better write her and tell her not to get her hopes up. Better write her and say, probably this is not going to work. But meanwhile, I'll pray about it. Uh-huh. And that way, I won't get her hopes up. Uh-huh. Which would have been, you know, she never would have gotten another letter from me because she would have, you know, she actually had to move to a particular part of Congo to be able to get the mail. Oh. Yeah, it was a pretty rough situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I had a uh, somebody who was walking with me through that time uh-huh. of, you know, my I couldn't do any work actually for months. Mm. I was uh, so dehydrated and everything mm-hmm. else. Another another reason I collapsed was that the heater in the in the apartment had been going full blast, and and I I couldn't turn it off. Oh no! And I couldn't get anybody. To, well, actually, I didn't take time to ask. Oh, because you were so busy working. Fix it, yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was my fault. But anyway. <laughs> Some things, you know, you don't put off even if you're busy, but anyway. But you don't realize that sometimes till after. Right, exactly. You don't realize which things are which. So uh, I was I was told, I actually feel like you shouldn't do that. Shouldn't say. Oh, shouldn't tell her, don't get your hopes up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. I'm glad you <laughs> So I start, you know, I'm praying about this and trying to be open. And I said, okay, well, there's a way I can organize my thoughts about this and mm-hmm. look at, you know, if, if, if the callings can work. And I, and I went back through all the letters I had from her. Mm-hmm. Plus I had on my computer, the letters that I'd sent to her. Mm-hmm. And because by the time I graduated from Duke, computers existed okay. and, <laughs> and ordinary people could have them. Okay. Yes. So I, Arranged them chronologically, went through that, went through my journal, mm-hmm. every place that talked about Medine, which was a little harder at the beginning because I was misspelling her name at the beginning, <laughs> and then discovered, to my horror, that I had skipped the middle part of that letter. Oh, yes. I was wondering when you were going <laughs> to find that. And that our, our callings actually were not incompatible at all. Our hearts were not incompatible at all. Oh, good. She was ready to do whatever uh-huh. for, for Jesus. Uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> I know the end of the story, so I'm, but I'm excited <laughs> hearing it. I fell off my chair. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been laying on the ground most of the time anyway. But I fell off my chair. And so I wrote to her and I said, yes, I think... This is the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sent I sent her an email. I didn't know that she'd moved to Point Noir. Mm-hmm. So and she was living in a tin roof shack uh, that flooded when it rained too much. Flooded mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. water level came way up on mm-hmm. the floor. You have to uh, there are all these uh, things that would attach to your body. Ew. Yeah, uh, living things that would Ew. attach to your body. Like yeah. leeches. Yeah, leeches. Ew. And so on. Um, she'd moved there and was selling charcoal. Charcoal. Mm. She, she has a PhD, but she was selling charcoal yeah. mm-hmm. to make a living, so she could be in touch with me. I didn't know. I didn't know she was going oh through my all this, goodness. so that she she could have access to a cyber cafe where she could. I didn't know what she was going through. I'd send her a bunch of money, uh-huh. but I didn't know the conditions in which she was right. living. So she's at the cyber cafe, uh-huh. 
and the the nosy workers, you know, they they're the ones who print out the message, and and they're like, so what did your American brother say? Because it's it's it was in English, and they didn't read English. Uh huh. And so, which didn't help their nosiness. Since yeah, that didn't help. And she, and she said, oh, it's it's a nice letter. She she's she's walking out reading it. And she starts laughing in the streets. Uh-huh. She was so skinny from war. She'd lost oh. so much weight. Mm-hmm. She was just like the skin and bones. bones. Yeah. yeah. And and so everybody knew because Point Noir was the one place that hadn't gone through war mm. uh, in that in that region. She uh, people looked at her. They knew she was a refugee. Mm. And she's she's laughing. She's crying. Mm-hmm. And they're they're like, um, well. These these refugees, you know, they've all lost their minds. <laughs> so we she started got making the best news of her life. <laughs> well, she she felt that way, yeah, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> and I, you know, so we start making plans, but uh-huh. we didn't know that um, international governments don't give way easily to romance, right? So that her country's new government had invalidated all, all the former passports. Oh, no. She didn't have a, pa- a valid mm-hmm. passport. Mm-hmm. She couldn't leave the country. Uh, you know, she'd been a refugee in another part of the country, displaced, internally mm-hmm. displaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now she needed to get a passport, but it was dangerous in the capital for people from her region. Oh, my. And so she sent she sent a friend, but then she never heard back. You know, she sent the friend with her her. Identity documents she'd kept during the war, mm-hmm. and and the the fee, and mm-hmm. then she never heard back. And so, she really was stuck if she she because she lost her documents. She lost her documents, and <clears throat> um, and plus there was no there was no um, U.S. consulate in her country. It had been closed mm-hmm. during the war, mm-hmm. so she was going to have to go to another country mm-hmm. even to go mm-hmm. to a consulate. And this other country. Um, it could be she could either go to Congo DRC, the mm-hmm. other Congo, or she could go to Cameroon. Mm-hmm. But she had to have a passport mm-hmm. to go either place. Finally, after a couple months, she ventured into the capital. She went to the passport office. There was no record that her passport had ever been filed for. Oh no! And she was. We were both like. This is this is terrible. When is mm-hmm. this gonna when is right. this gonna end? You'd waited so long. And I was praying together with a, a sister from Ghana and some other people. Mm-hmm. And the, the sister from Ghana who's a Baptist, you know, mm-hmm. these these are not a bunch of different denominations yeah. all involved in this. This yeah. is like across the board. But I love that though. Yeah. The ecumenical <laughs> is very a... ecumenical. This was yeah. in in the seminary was very ecumenical. Like Asbury, mm-hmm. we have people from a lot mm-hmm. of different places and so um, she said, I feel like the passport is done. Mm. I said, you're crazy. Well, I didn't say you're crazy. <laughs> I said, it's not done. Don't you see? That's the problem. Right. And she was insisting it was done. And I'm like, okay, charismatic stuff can get really wacky, really subjective, really out of hand. This is crazy. Uh-huh. And, and I, I told Medine, uh, cause now she was able to go to a friend's house where there was a phone mm-hmm. and, she went the next day in faith. She went to the capital. Uh, sorry, she was in the capital. Mm-hmm. She went to the passport office again. Mm-hmm. And 
she was pestering people. Uh-huh. And they kept sending her, uh-huh. giving her to run around, sent her this one office. And the guy said, what's your name again? Medin Musunga. Oh, well, of course there's no record of it down there. It's, it's been here on my, in my desk. Why, why didn't your friend come back for it? She found it later. The friend had fallen sick. Oh. So the passport was done. The next week, she flew to Cameroon uh-huh. um, because one of my students was uh, uh, trained in law from Cameroon. He'd uh-huh. come to do seminary. He was my student uh-huh. um, and I think was a doctoral student by that point. Uh-huh. And then uh, so he had a friend she could stay with there. And I, I flew to Cameroon the next week. We were finally reunited. We hadn't uh-huh. seen each other in person for like 11 years. Oh, my goodness. So what I didn't know what story. she looked like except for in the pictures uh-huh. she sent. So this definitely was no. I mean, I knew she was pretty the first time I saw uh-huh. her, but this wasn't based on, you know, right. physical <laughs> attraction. Yeah. Uh, but she still was quite pretty. <laughs> and then, but once she got to Cameroon, uh-huh. it still took... Let's see. She got to Cameroon, I think, in May mm-hmm. or April, and it still took until February. No, it still took until March until she could get a visa to, to come, come to the to, U.S. Oh, my goodness. So she was stranded there, and this time away from her parents, oh, away from her siblings. So yeah. You know, so she's she's lonely. Mm-hmm. I can visit during the summer. But during the school year. But during the school year, I couldn't. And, you know, um, we, things would have gone much more smoothly, except that right about the time we filed, 9-11 happened. Oh, yeah. Then that made everything. Oh, everything. The inner, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Visa situations changed overnight. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of fear about Backlog, Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Vermont Service Center, which was the one that serviced our, uh, you know, Philadelphia area at that time, was shut down due to an anthrax scare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Probably most people don't remember that. Everybody remembers nine remember eleven. Like, yeah. <laughs> but um, and probably some of the listeners were like, "I wasn't born yet." <laughs> <laughs> That's always shocking to me because I'm yeah. starting to talk to people who are adults, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh, you don't remember?" Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, thank God it it. It worked out, and we've it, been married since uh, March thirteenth, two thousand two. Oh wow! I love that story. What a romance! That's so. I love that. So I want to back up for a minute and talk about because I know you guys do work with, and we only have just a few minutes left, but you guys do work with racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. and so if we could briefly go back and talk about your work in the African American community. And what that was like, and then go forward just a little bit to what that work like looks like now, because I'm really curious. I'm not sure this is a politically correct question, but <laughs> what was it like to be white in a black community? Oh, everybody welcomed me. Yeah, it was it was no no problem at all. Mm-hmm. Now, a, a, a white person needs to be willing to humble themselves and work under mm. black leadership. Absolutely, because the the African American, I mean, the pastors they knew their community. I was there as a as a guest, mm-hmm. and and over the years, of course, I learned, and I lived in the African American mm-hmm. community. So mm-hmm. I, I uh, in, when I was in North Carolina, uh, most of the time in North Carolina, I lived in the African American community, mm-hmm. and uh, 
Yeah, and in Philadelphia, I lived mm-hmm. on campus, mm-hmm. so it was an integrated community. It yeah. was uh, black and white. The, mm-hmm. the school was about half black, mm-hmm. 40 to 50 percent, depending on the mm-hmm. year. And that became actually my home, my, my home culture. But but still, I'm not I'm not from there. I didn't grow up there, so right. there are differences. But you have a connection to there. Yeah, I, that's where I felt at home, mm-hmm. most at home. I felt really welcome. Um, of course, when I'd go into a new community mm-hmm. and people didn't know me, people would look at me and, you know, but that would always break down in time. Yeah. Even even with somebody who was like, who'd really been hurt by white people, mm-hmm. in time, I could always break through that mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. by loving, humbling yeah. myself, being a servant. Yeah. Now, I'm so busy now. <laughs> I can't. I can't invest in that mm-hmm. in that same interpersonal way. Well, and I'm married. I've got a family. It makes so, a big difference. Yeah, it yeah. makes a big difference. I was single back then, so I could. I could always just hang in there until mm-hmm. until I broke through. Um, but yeah, I was. I was welcomed in those churches, mm-hmm. and the first one, the one in North Carolina, that was the one. You know, some of the people in that church had new people who had grown up in slavery. Some of the people in that church had been in the sit-ins, had had mm-hmm. the flour thrown on them in the, in the restaurants and stuff. So yeah. for them to accept me, mm-hmm. for them to love me, mm-hmm. and, and my pastor, he's given me this reading material, the slave narratives, the autobiography mm-hmm. of Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And by the time I'm done with it, I'm so ashamed of my skin color that mm-hmm. I, I wanted to take a knife and rip my skin off. But mm-hmm. but my pastor, every week, kept preaching how we're all made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And it got through to me. Yeah, that's me too. Yeah. And, but, but I had to first get through that of realizing this is something my people did to their people. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Wasn't, it wasn't me personally. Right. But I've profited from what my people did yes. to their people. You know, I've had advantages because of what my people yes. did to their people. Yes. And so, uh, but once once I got through that, mm-hmm. um, it was, yeah, eventually I was able to integrate everything in my heart yes. and, and just be just be me yeah. and just be, you know, happy there. But uh, actually, it took me a while to reintegrate in, in the white, in the white setting. I mean... Of course, now it's been many years since right. then. But, um, and then, and then, Medine and I, you know, I would speak often on, on racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. especially in the white in, mm-hmm. in white circles. Yes, much needed. Um, and yeah, and I spoke on it more back then than I do now because mm-hmm. I had more time back but then. But your your season has changed now yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, but um, Medine and I spoke on ethnic reconciliation to seventeen hundred pastors in post war Cote d'Ivoire. Because they had been through war, it was ethnic strife, mm-hmm. one people group against mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. So that was really important there. We spoke on it together in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So it's been outside the country mm-hmm. as as well as inside the country. Sometimes we we do it here too. Yeah. Although I don't I don't speak as much. Um, well, I just spoke on ethnic reconciliation actually in Kenya too for mm-hmm. the Africa Society for Evangelical Theology. Um, their annual conference um, a couple weeks ago. 
but I don't, usually I, I, well, I can't travel to churches that much to speak because I'm just so busy. So usually academic conferences or, um, you know, university Mm -hmm. lectureships or Mm -hmm. something like that, Mm -hmm. because I figure most of the preaching that I could do, somebody else can do just as well. (laughs) But since there are viewers of us who are preachers who also have PhDs, who also Mm -hmm. are seminary professors, Mm -hmm. that's where I've put my, um, more of my time now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and of course, the writing takes a lot of time. Yeah. What are you working on now? Is there a new book in the works or Um, something else? Right now, I'm indexing a book called Christobiography, which is on the nature of the ancient Nature of the Gospels is Ancient mm-hmm. Biography, which is dealing with the historiographic implications of the genre. Okay. And uh, that that book I'm just indexing. It mm-hmm. should have been out already, but uh, things it takes got delayed. Time, yeah. yeah. Well, the, it wasn't the indexing that delayed it, but anyway, uh, there's also my Galatians commentary with Baker's about to come out. The one with Cambridge okay. came out last year. Okay. Also, I'm doing a one-volume condensation of my four-volume Acts commentary for Cambridge, the uh, Cambridge New Testament commentary Mm -hmm. series. Uh, (laughs) Cutting 85% of a book. I didn't think it would be that hard, but it's been kind of hard. Yeah, to weed out what... I mean, Uh, because you thought it was important, so you put it in there, so how do you take it out? Yeah, I mean, some of it it was easy to cut out. But anyway... um, I, I was probably supposed to cut out 95%, but I'm hoping they'll accept it with 85%. Right? Well, that's very exciting. I, we look forward to those coming out and whatever, wherever God leads, whatever God leads you to produce in the future. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Thank Keener, you for, for being taking the time to, I mean, you're very busy taking the time to oh. come and be part of this today. And as we wrap up, I have three quick questions. But, Oh. Don't don't worry about the time because it is so much easier to do an interview here on campus or by phone than it is to have to travel somewhere. Oh, that takes yes. lots of time. Yes, well, we, we don't have the biggest airport here. I mean, it's a nice <laughs> airport we have yes. in Lexington, but it's not the biggest. So. <laughs> That's true. Well, I appreciate it just the same. So as we wrap up, I'm going to be asking each guest that we have three questions, so they can just be brief. Um, answers. And um, so the first one is, what's a what's a practice that you do, spiritual or otherwise, that has really helped you thrive in your life? I spend about an hour a day in prayer. Okay. Now I have to, I do it different ways. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'll really be aware of God's presence and, and sometimes I'll hear, hear the Spirit speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also spend a lot of time, I have a, a list of prayer. Because I'm ADHD, uh-huh. it's the only way, way so far I've found to be able to, you know, keep my mind on, on yeah. track. Yeah. And also I, I pray through a lot of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'll adapt them. Uh, the parts about, you know, kill my enemies. Well, <laughs> you know, in, light of, in light of Jesus' teaching, I try to, you know, yeah. Lord, please uh, uh, draw my enemies to you, yeah. <laughs> whatever. But uh, the, the prayer... Keeps okay. keeps my, yeah. my spiritual life fresh. So good, and and of course that influences you know uh, how I appropriate scripture personally too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What book are you reading right now? 
well, right now I'm reading the Acts commentary while I'm indexing it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, that makes or no, sense. No, sorry. In, uh, I'm reading Christobiography while I'm indexing it, and I'm, I'm reading the uh, Acts, condensed Acts commentary as I'm editing it. So okay. uh, those are the ones I'm really reading. Okay. Or do you mean... Yeah, like okay. anything besides, like anything for fun or just for your own education? <laughs> for fun. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I have time, I read... Um, I like to read biographies. Okay. Now, actually, I'm listening to, I think it's Ryan Reeves. He has these church history okay. um, uh, podcasts, uh-huh. I guess. So while I'm indexing, I can I can listen to that and keep my church history fresh. Okay. okay. And then one more question. This one's just for you. I'm curious about your comics because we see them and... Oh. What inspires your comics? <laughs> Dement, uh, demented mind. <laughs> what inspires my comics? My, my mom's an artist. Okay. And, you know, she cultivated that in me when I was growing up. She cultivated everything. I mean, she would get me, if I was interested in books, like I was mm. interested in Plato. She got me Plato, you know, so. What a good mom. Yeah, a great mom. And she got me uh yeah, so she had cultivated my artwork. Uh, she does more abstract art. I like, mm-hmm. you know, I like to draw people, and mm-hmm. I, I like to draw comics. Uh-huh. And I don't have time to do it very often. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, on my Sabbath, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually, on my Sabbath, I have to try to catch up at least on a few of the emails. I'm so far behind. <laughs> but also, once in a while, my brain is just too fried. I to to do yeah, work, a break. <laughs> so is a break, mm-hmm. and I I actually write down ideas when they come to me, okay. silly ideas when they come to me. Uh-huh. So I have this backlog of all these ideas. When I get the time, or my brain is too fried to do anything mm-hmm. else, which doesn't happen as often as used to, I will draw the draw the cartoon, the comic, and then. Eventually, I have enough of them. I, I send them off yeah. to the Asbury to. Yeah, we run always. Them. Yeah, we always <laughs> enjoy them. We were talking today, actually, that we should put them in a book and we could oh, like get a collection so, of them. So, and put some them. Glosser House actually has been doing oh, that. Really, I didn't yeah. know that. Well, they've done they've done uh, the first hundred of them. Okay, they've got a few hundred others. Okay, that they haven't haven't done yet. I so, love that. Yeah. I love that. So yeah. well. Thank you, Dr. Keener. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's, it's been my, my privilege. Thank you so much, Heidi. Thank you. God bless you. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Keener. Grateful for his taking the time to share his story with us. I hope you enjoyed it as well. This is our last podcast episode of the semester. We really appreciate you listening and hope you enjoyed the first season. Our second season starts on January 14th, and I'm really excited about our lineup of guests, so you won't want to miss out. Subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.